Catalogical or eschatological? Could be both. <laughs> Welcome to the Preacher Podcast. This is the Festival of the Coming of the Holy Spirit, the Day of Pentecost. And this will be the final uh, episode in the series Resurrection Reality. Um, with us for this series have been Pastor Ben Tomzak from Bethel Lutheran in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Pastor John Bergaman from Good Shepherd in Downers Grove, Illinois. And I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Thanks, Ben and John, for being with us uh, for this series. Um, John, how does this week fit into the worship series? We're kind of now at the end of the Easter season, or technically, I guess, uh, after a week of weeks, maybe one day beyond it, but this is kind of the completion of the Easter octave, right? Could you talk to us about the Resurrection Reality series and this week's theme? Yes. So this is certainly the culmination of the, the festival portion of the year, and we have one of the big three. Uh, we call it festivals, of course, Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost, and this really is a big one being celebrated by the church probably from the early 200s on. I don't know that any of our listeners are scurrying right now to uh, do last-minute preparations for their Pentecost parties, but certainly would be worthy of it because this is one of the big three. And it comes to completion, our entire Easter series theme of resurrection reality. As, as we get to this point now, the disciples uh, then and still now are being sent out with an incredible task to be witnesses to every nation, tribe, and language. And wow, they are in bad shape, and we are in bad shape if we are going to try to do this alone. But the reality is that even though Jesus has ascended, the Holy Spirit's going to be with us. So we really are not alone, and it's the best possible scenario that could be. Uh, you, you might even say there's a couple of realities here in this one. The reality is, of course, we can't do anything on our own to please God. We could never come to faith on our own. So we need the spirit to go first, obviously, on that, just to bring us to God. But then also, we can't do what God calls us to do on our own. But the good news that we'll explore today in our texts is that we don't have to do it alone. The reality is we are not alone. Uh, Christ is with us. The spirit lives in us. And so we can proclaim he is risen indeed to every nation, tribe, and language and people. Thank you for that great summary. Uh, ben, talk to us a little bit about, if you would, uh, the first and second readings for the day, and then we'll delve into the gospel for our sermon text. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for having me on again. I'm, i got to say it, I'm going to miss you guys, and I, I hope people haven't felt like we've been speaking to them in unintelligible languages in the, the past few weeks of this series, so <laughs> we'll, we'll try to keep that going. Um like John was talking about this, this Pentecost doesn't just talk about the spirit bringing us to faith, which is obviously a truth of the third article, but how now we have the ability as, as the summary for the week says to raise the spiritually dead to life. So the, the, the power of the, the church's work, and we get that in, incredibly vividly shown to us in these two lessons. So we start with Ezekiel 37, the, the Valley of the Dry Bones. And if you remember, Ezekiel is a prophet uh, in exile. So he is out there, and it doesn't get deader than he is. Jerusalem is in ruins. The nation's in ruins. Um, and what is God doing? He, he tells Ezekiel about rebirth and new life. In fact, in chapter 36, he prefaces this by saying, I'm going to yield to the plea of the house of Israel. And that's when he 
takes Ezekiel to this, this place, this valley of dead bones, which is creepy enough on the face of it, but really you want to put some sort of pun intended flesh on it. I think of scenes in movies, any scary scene in movies where someone's stepping and suddenly they step on bones. You've got Indiana Jones in the last crusade when they're in that catacomb and there are bones and, or the hunger games when, when Katniss goes back to district 12, when it's been firebombed and there's just skeletons and you're stepping on them. And, and for a Jew, this is an unclean place to be. Right. So all of that is coming together. And then the Lord asks what seems like an obvious question, and Ezekiel does well to not answer it with sarcasm. Can these bones live? Um, no, but but you can tell Ezekiel senses God's up to something. He's teaching something. And, and so that's when the Lord who created the universe with a word shows that he can raise the dead with a word, whether we're talking about an individual, um, an, an unbeliever spiritually, or now in this case, it's about a nation. He says, I have a dead nation, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And then we get the refrain that's for this week that really is the refrain throughout all the book of Ezekiel, where God is the subject. Right? I will, I will, I will, I will. And then he says what he will do. And Ezekiel listens and says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. He spoke the words God told him to speak, and the Lord worked through him, just like we get to do, um, which doesn't make us a robot. But it reminds us of what we learn in catechism, that water is not just plain water, but water used by God's command. But that's telling us when we speak, we aren't just wagging tongues. Flesh is being put on bones. Uh, and then when Ezekiel sees these dead bones become bodies, the Lord caps it off by saying, you'll know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I've done it. And then we get Acts chapter 2, a living, breathing example of this. An example of this Ezekiel 37 power. When Jesus keeps the promise he'd made at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, wait for the Spirit. A promise we're going to hear in our gospel today, wait for the spirit. He will come and he will testify. And sure enough, he does. And we get an Ezekiel 37 day. A crowd of dead people are cut to the heart by the word. Thousands come to faith. Thousands are baptized. Dead bones. We watch it happening, growing tendons and ligaments and skin. And they breathe and they live. And, and if you look at Acts 2, there's so many Ezekiel connections. There's a blowing wind, just like the breath in Ezekiel 37. There's a fire. Uh, another outward sign of saying the Lord is doing this thing. There was a valley of dry bones. It was these uh, believers, uh, these Jewish followers from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the wonders of God from Peter, especially one particular wonder about a dead man who came to life, Christ, who, who didn't need to be raised to life by some outside power, but raised himself to life. Then suddenly it all comes together. And God is doing what he said he would do. I will. I will pour out my spirit. I will show you wonders in the heavens. And everyone who called on the name of the Lord is saved. Thank you. Yeah. So the, the speaking that is done by the power of the spirit brings the dead to life. Uh, let's go then to the gospel of the day. So we're looking at John 15 verses 26 and 27. And then... Uh, skipping to chapter 16, verse 4, and going through verse 11. Um, well, uh, John, let's turn back to you, if we could. Just some thoughts uh, on this text and uh, initial thoughts about preaching a sermon on this text. Back in the upper room with Jesus, um, how does this uh, work on Pentecost, and what can preachers say to people based on these words of Jesus? Yeah, thanks, John. You just... Uh noted something that is a little interesting that happens often uh, as we preach on Pentecost. If you go to a John 15, John 16 text, you are just in 
on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and now we're going back to Monday, Thursday, so it is a little going back and forth in your mind. Perhaps we and our people don't have as much of a problem with this in this day and age of watching television shows and movies where everyone seems to be doing flashbacks so often or backstories and things like that. So it, maybe it's not too much of a stretch for our people, but you almost you see Pentecost and now we, we fade to black and we fade back in and we're going back a little bit. But with uh, that being said, as, as with so much of Jesus' words in, in John 15 and 16, you could almost pick a verse and you have a sermon. The challenge is to weave it and focus it on Pentecost and especially this particular year's emphasis on, on Pentecost. So to just keep that in mind. With that being said, it just begins with such beautiful words right off the beginning and uh, packed full of meaning words. When the uh, parakletos, the, the comforter comes to you or the counselor comes from the father, he, he's going to testify about me, um, the one that I will send. And we have a lot of thoughts packed right in there already. First of all, we said we, we need help. We, we can't do this alone. And look how much help Jesus is giving. He's saying, I'm going to send to you the one that you need. You're not going to need to find him somewhere deep, high in a mountain or inwardly meditate to find him in the corners of your heart. I am going to send him to you. Now, he did that in a very dramatic, visible way on the day of Pentecost. Maybe I'm jumping a little bit to application. He still does it directly to us through the word today. And, and we know where to find this, this spirit, how, how wonderful that is. And then how do we find that uh, parakletos? A lot of different translations there, advocate, comforter, counselor, and all of those could be pictures that we could really unpack even more. But each one emphasizing that you are not going to be alone in any of this. One is going to come right alongside you. And what beautiful truth that was for those disciples who by that evening's end would be very alone. They, they had scattered and run and they're in hiding, but that's not going to be how they're going to be forever. And what wonderful comfort for us who often feel so alone and unworthy of all that God calls us to do. Well, yeah, we are, but we're not going to be alone. One is going to come right alongside of us. So right from the first verse, well, we have a lot to preach on already. And uh, maybe, John, you and Benjamin will help us to continue to unpack some things here. Sure. I'll turn to Ben then. Uh, do you have some insights, Ben, that you can share on uh, Jesus' words here in John 15 and 16, building on what uh, John said, perhaps? I don't know if they're insights. I wrote things down. That's the best I can give that, you. That counts. That counts. Yeah, good. Um this certainly isn't the malady yet. I, um, when John was talking about the that title for the Holy Spirit, I, it, I just as I was thinking about it, I, I always have struggled at Pentecost, um, letting it be a sermon about the Holy Spirit. And and I think that's I, Lutherans sometimes get accused of that. I think right that we leave the Holy Spirit out of stuff, and you know maybe some of it is our fear of becoming Pentecostals and only being about the Spirit, but we're so quick to get to Jesus. But Jesus is so quick to say this today, today, this is all about him. Although at the same time, it flows out of his work. He says, unless I go and do what I'm supposed to do, the counselor won't come. But anyways, that's that's kind of under the gospel a little But Yeah, that title for Paraclete, because it goes in so many directions, a counselor, which has both a comforting, the encouraging idea, but also a legal connotation. There's a lawyerly that in 1 John, that word about Jesus, Paraclete, he's called the Paraclete. And that's about him being an advocate. So it's kind of got both sides. And, and it just, 
dawned on me that that even though on the one hand we have sometimes called the Holy Spirit like a, a John the Baptist kind of guy, he must become greater, I must become less, I'm just going to point to Jesus, that's all I want to do, that doesn't fit the Holy Spirit we get today. This is a busy, powerful guy. He's the breath of God in Ezekiel, bringing life. He's he's the fire and the wind and the speaking in tongues and the baptizing, converting guy in Acts. And, and here in John, he is this advocate from God <laughs> to us, convicting, exposing sins. But he's also the advocate from us to God, um, showing the Father Jesus' work, because he's all the things that we see in the creed, too. Think about our catechism teaching, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, life everlasting. This, this is a busy, busy guy, and we do him short shrift if we just make him the guy who only talks about Jesus. So I just, with that title, it's kind of cool that that's what Jesus leaves us. Hey, not just I have a gift, but let me show you and unpack this gift I've got for you, the Holy Spirit, uh, equal part. Of, I'm, I'm dedicating to you an entire person of the Trinity. <laughs> to take care of you as I'm leaving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so beautiful, powerful comfort um, in this truth, kind of highlighted, uh, John mentioned it before, in the theme of the day, uh, we're not alone. Um, Jesus does not leave his people alone, but sends the parakletos to to be with us. Um, yeah, uh, we were getting into it a little before, perhaps, or hinting at it, um, Kind of a law and gospel themes in this section. Um, for a, a law theme, do you think more about the, you know, something like the disciples and what they would have been had they been left on their own, or or something mm -hmm. like that, um, or you know, and, and we kind of have a track record uh, of from the disciples already. And if we stay even on this very night when Jesus is saying these things, um, it's going to get worse uh, for the disciples. Uh, they're feeling alone, they're leaving Jesus alone. Um, so at, do you do something like that with uh, thoughts regarding a malady, John? Yeah, I think that's one way to approach it, and I probably have before where you can kind of have that conversation with your audience. Well, who is Jesus talking to? Obviously, to all of us, but in this context, the disciples. Well, why was this so important for them to know? And you just kind of walk through some of those things they did or didn't do but then you take it one step further to not just point fingers at Peter for denying he knew Christ and for the rest of them for running. But how would we be any different or are we any different when we try to do it alone? Um, and then you can, it depends how far down you want to drill on that. Not only are we unable, of course, to witness to Christ, but we're able to come to Christ in any kind of way on our own. Uh, Luther's explanations are, are good there that I cannot by my own thinking or choosing, or of course, believe in Christ and come to him. And you can you could drill a little bit down just how desperately unable we are to do any of these things alone. And, and what a dreadful, awful thing if we're left by ourselves. And of course, the, the long-term effect of that is we would be alone forever outside of the presence from God in hell. And so that being alone thing, you could take that as a in the law to some different levels there and expose the hearts of all of us to say, uh, dear God, we need you. Yeah. Ben, were you thinking along those lines or uh, want to build on that at all? I, I I don't think I had those words written down, but it, it jives. I, I think we are getting to the, the, the malady underneath because I kind of had three different potential directions you, you could go with the, the problem, but but it comes down to we needed this spirit because without him, our message would be 100% not 
the things Jesus is telling us today. We would go in any number of other directions on our own. Um, so one angle I think someone could take is a theology of glory approach, a millennial kingdom approach. Jesus is breaking the disciples of that when he says, I got to go. I'm like, wait, what, what now? You're, you're going to go? There's no way things can be better if Jesus goes. He says, actually, <laughs> things can only go better if I go, which is inching towards the gospel of because I'm about to go do my work and I need to do that. Another direction you could go, and this I think fits most clearly uh, with uh, the tough words coming up about the spirits convicting, um, 100% we would refuse to see God's word saying what it really says and Jesus being who he really is. And, and so we would we would just change the word of God. And, and that's an assault on the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus also titles here the spirit of truth. And so it's monkeying with the word of God. When we hear about the things the spirit will convict us of, not one of those things is the kind of stuff I really want to talk to my people about sin, righteousness, or judgment, as if you're sinners who aren't righteous and you need judgment. I don't really want to do that. Uh, a third possibility is when Jesus says he will testify to you and you will testify. Well, that's kind of reminding me that every time I keep silent as a individual, as a parent, as a congregation or a synod, we're kind of defying a direct order of Jesus, which was to testify to everything God says. And that's not saying we suddenly got to be all about social statements on everything under the sun and an official synodical statement, but there are issues and needs of the day, um, sins that need to be exposed, unrighteousness that needs to be defined, judgment that needs to be declared. And when we kind of keep our mouths shut, um, you know, the spirit is convicting the world through us, let's be honest. And are we trying to get in the way of that? So yeah, if we're on our own, if we don't have we don't listen to Jesus, and if we don't have the spirit he's promising here, there's just all kinds of problems. Right, right. Good thoughts. Um, yeah, and then um, corresponding to some of those thoughts, uh, gospel emphases in this text, I think we brought out already, you are not alone. Um, and Jesus' promise here is just kind of uh, replete with the gospel that his love uh, sends the advocate, and then what the Holy Spirit, is, as Ben mentioned, is uh, busy doing um, and has been, um, you know, from eternity, but but also in the lives of Jesus' people at the completion of Jesus' work. And from then on, um, gospel emphases in this section. I want to add anything to what has been said, John? Yeah, I think one of the reasons we sometimes struggle with how do we translate to go back to the, the paraclete is because... Any picture we use, the Holy Spirit is even more. So to use that picture of advocate or legal counsel, well, yeah, my lawyer can probably get me ready to testify in the stand and tell me what not to say and all this, but does my lawyer really empower me <laughs> to, to speak the very words I need? Well, well, no, or a counselor, right? A counselor can help me see where I need to grow in this or that, but I still need to do the work. Um, it, it could go on and on like that, but the Holy Spirit is even more than that, right? That that he is going to empower me and live in me. And that just changes not only my status, of course, before God, but my life forever. Um, and that's just incredible, beautiful, good news that then I can also begin to have confidence. And this is not a triumphalism. This is not a theology of glory. In, in the verses that were skipped in this reading, Jesus was very, very clear that they're going to put you out of the synagogue and you're going to be persecuted and all of this. But at the same time, if the Holy Spirit, if God Almighty is working behind my witness, behind my words, 
then I certainly don't need to be just sheepish either. And, and I don't need to just expect only the worst, but to trust that God can do immeasurably more than I can ask or even imagine if the Holy Spirit's the one working behind what I'm doing. Uh, then there's great cause for gospel confidence too in whatever vocation I, I live as I proclaim and be a witness for Christ. Okay, thank you. Uh, ben, anything to add to that as far as uh, the gospel emphases in the text? Yeah, this is, this is, we talked about this a little bit beforehand. It's tough because Jesus really emphasizes the law office of the spirit in this text. Yeah. Um, and, and the formula picks up on this. It says Christ's spirit must not only comfort, but also through the office of the law, convict the world concerning sin. So we are, we are hammered with those three things. He's going to convict the world of uh, sin because they don't believe in me. Righteousness, because I go to the father, and you don't see me judgment because the one ruling the world has been condemned and, and, and so in a certain sense, in those statements, we find the gospel by implication because the exposure of that sin will, of course, lead some to true repentance and thus true faith because the Holy Spirit is all the time confronting us with the true Lamb of God, the actual sinless one, the actual righteous one, because he rose from the dead and went to heaven. That means he himself is righteous. He got to go straight to the Father. We need someone to get us there. And and the one who is unjudgeable and yet was willing to be judged. And then the actual, I, th I, I, I thought the explicit gospel really in this text was when Jesus said, it'll be better for you when I leave. Because the reason is because I'll have done all the work that we confess about him in the creed. I mean, Jesus is kind of about to embark on one of those long Midwestern goodbyes. You know, I'm leaving you. And then it's going to be so that I can be betrayed, suffer, crucified, die, be buried. Oh, and then rise from the dead and ascend into heaven and sit at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. If I don't leave, none of those things got done. And you're still in your sins. But I am going. And, and then what does he pile on top of that is good news? Even though the words he gives us from the Spirit are, are law words, he says, I'm going to send you the Spirit. And that, too, is an act of love. That I'm to back to our theme alone. I'm not leaving you alone. And even as Jesus is in the most pressure-packed moment of his life, he's considering his own death. And in a few hours, he's going to die. He assures them, whilst I'm doing all of that, I'm getting everything ready, and the Spirit will come. This, this true God, this third person of the Trinity. I'm going to deliver to him to you with the full approval of the Father, and he will tell you everything. Now he can bring in everything else Jesus has been saying all night. He's going to remind you of all the things I taught you. He's going to strengthen you in them. He's going to testify so that you can testify. Um, so, so yeah, despite the the heavy, you know, the persecution theme that's coming in, you know, you're going to suffer, and the Spirit's going to say words that will make you suffer. He's at the same time, but he's the paraclete. Uh -huh. And it's going to be better for you. Yeah, yeah. Good thoughts. Uh, now, we've hinted at some applications already. Um, uh, if if you take the approach of addressing uh, Jesus' words in verse 27, especially, you also must testify and, and you know, explore that as a malady, but the, the gospel of the, the coming paraclete um, to forgive us and empower us uh, that might be an avenue for application, but it, it, would you like to build on that or add any other ideas for application there, uh, John? Yeah, I, I think we're covering a lot of this with just that repeated 
notion that you are not alone. We feel so lonely in our world. And certainly from COVID on, you can do all kinds of stats about the loneliness thing. But I, I would just imagine pounding the gospel into my people with that. Um, and what great news that is. The other illustrations there are just how to bring about some of these gospel thoughts. The one who goes alongside of us, the spirit, I think of when I was learning to ride my bike, it was impossible for me to do it alone. My father would often like run with me and hold the bike up. And, and I was young enough and naive enough that I thought I was actually doing it on my own. And then I realized he's right there. He's holding me. He's got me. And if, if I wouldn't have done that, I would have been dead. But uh, the spirit does that for us in, in every moment of, of life as we come into contact with where we find the spirit, of course, in his, his word and sacrament. But we're, we're not alone. The other kind of application I thought, too, is just this power. Ben was talking about that earlier. I appreciated that, that the spirit here is not just a meek kind of person in the corner sulking away, saying, stop looking at me, look at Jesus. There, there's tremendous power that I am going out with now that, that's working in this message and word. And I think of illustrations such as probably during the days of the Cold War, when you'd have these little nations warring against each other, but who is really behind them? Well, China or the Soviet Union or the United States pouring resources into these places, giving them, sending them power, sending them what they need to fight, which they would never have on their own. And you know, the most beautiful way that that word sending, he sends the spirit, but then he sends with the spirit everything that I need. Um, I, I'm not alone there either. He doesn't, the spirit doesn't come just to keep me company. Uh, the spirit comes to empower me to do what I, I need to do. And what a beautiful truth that is to send God's people out with to say, you are not alone. So leave the doors of this church and go out into that world. Yeah. So the spirit is not there just to be with us, though that is uh, indescribable comfort in and of itself, but also to be active and empower us yes. uh, and uh, energize us for the work that God has given us in our vocations. Uh, ben, any other application thoughts? Yeah. Um, I, th I think we sometimes, I'm not always as careful as I need to be in, in this account, uh, this this uh, sermon from Jesus, where every once in a while he's saying things that are really for the disciples at that moment. And we want to be careful not to make them like, even Jesus promises them basically inspiration, that he hasn't promised us verbal inspiration back right. in John 14, right? right. Um, but here we have one, you know, he says, I didn't tell you this at first because I was with you. And that's obviously directly to the apostles, you know, he's leaving them. And, and yet he's, we can take that one to heart too, that that we we are in the same boat the disciples were getting to be in. We've always been the disciples post Jesus' death and resurrection. And here he is promising us the same Holy Spirit with these same words, as you were saying, John, the, with the full message of God, um, even though we don't always understand it that way. I think I think for us, the word of God is sort of like news reports. You know, especially with the Internet, you're getting news reports and they're always getting updated. And so there's new information, new information. And sometimes you find out something wasn't quite right, you know, and it's breaking news. And, and we're so tempted to think of the Bible that way, partly because we're just weak in our understanding, but partly because of our temptation to only want to bring in the information we like. And he's assuring us that even as you're learning this, even as as, as you're growing in the word, you've got everything here. It's full and true. And I've given you my spirit. Um He'll give you the words to say, as as, as I, I shared, you know, as Jesus says multiple times, he, he will fill you with the proper words. Uh, 
Again, not in the way that the disciples at Pentecost necessarily did. There's no promise that we'll suddenly start speaking in a, in a, in a foreign language in a crowd and, and give them the words. But, but everything you need, everything I want you to have, a full and true word from the spirit of truth who is not holding things back, he is not making mistakes. Um, he and I are in full agreement, and he is just keeping you ready until I come back, because that's that's always a part of this, that John 14, being John 14, I'm just going so that I can come back. Right. Uh, yeah, so kind of an overall direction of a sermon is is emerging in my mind, um, just the, the encouragement um, that we can give God's people because the Holy Spirit uh, and his work are realities for us, uh, according to the promise of Jesus that has now been fulfilled, um, and we can now see it. And I think, yeah, some caution is in order, as you mentioned, Ben, you know, the, not all the promises for the disciples on this night are are the same for us, but still, um, the work of the Spirit uh, is a reality for each one of us and each one of the, the people to whom we're speaking, and that is a powerful encouragement. Any any concluding thoughts or uh, suggestions, illustrations, anything else that that come to mind that might be useful for preachers, uh, John? Yeah, just uh, as far as the structure of the sermon, one idea we were talking about earlier is if you began by looking at these disciples and how much they needed this because of the evidence of Monday, Thursday, kind of a, a wrap in there that is what we do see then on Pentecost in, in Acts chapter two. So some would say that uh, Monday, Thursday, Peter is not Pentecost Peter, and, and Monday, Thursday, disciples are not uh, Pentecost disciples in the sense that now we actually see Jesus fulfill these words in what they do. Um, and it kind of comes full circle. And that's the wonderful thing with us. Certainly we are already complete and holy and forgiven and justified in Christ, but yet God is still bringing forth new fruits with us today so that next year I might not be the same John that I am today by the grace and mercy of the spirit working in me. Mm -hmm. um, just one you know, rough way to break down the text too that was going through my mind would be you know, resurrection reality or reality part one, we, we can't do it on our own. And then reality part two, we won't do it on our own. That would be one way maybe of structuring a sermon and, and kind of highlight the thoughts we had. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, any further ideas or suggestions for preachers? That that thought that John was just saying there, I think is good. Um, that Jesus didn't suddenly drop this Holy Spirit bomb on them, you know, between the resurrection and the ascension. Sometimes I, I wonder if it gets just picked up that way and from Luke and Acts that all of a sudden he's now telling, okay, guys, you're going to wait here because now there's this new thing coming. No, he said it here on Monday, Thursday. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And, and he's been laying the groundwork and then he does keep saying it. I, I think of Paul in Corinthians, you are temples of the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. So this, this constant refrain of the, the spirit, I mean, go back to Isaiah. I will pour out my spirit upon him and, and all these references to it. So you've got that consistency. But no, the, the only theme that I had that, that I thought um, of any merit um, is Jesus lays all his cards out on the table. That's what he's been doing here, right? I'm telling you things that I haven't been telling you. And, mm -hmm. and, and however you want to do that, whether I, the two parts, I have, I'll send the counselor and he'll say what needs to be said. That, that full message of law and gospel, I think, is a part of this text um, that the law office cannot be be denied uh, among us we can't simply become antinomians or, or millennialists but but that I'm, I'm sending i'm sending the one who'll give you the words okay great great suggestions 
Uh, well, John, Ben, thank you very much for being part of this series and for uh, sharing your thoughts with preachers to help them as they wrestle with these texts and uh, think about how to share the, the treasures with their people. Uh, with that, I'll leave it up to preachers to take this text and run with it, um, proclaiming the grace that is there in the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, who brings to our hearts and minds that resurrection reality. God bless you, preachers.